0: Welcome to another At The Flick short. In this short, I'm here with my fellow presenter, Graham. Graham's here to discuss something close to his heart, and certainly not mine, superhero movies. This is payback for those horror films, isn't it? (laughs) It certainly (laughs) is. That said, I do want to understand the period before the current wave of superhero movies, a period when most superhero movies flopped. The nostalgia. We have spoken about this often, and I thought, in this short, we could expand on our discussion and let the listeners in on what you think has changed. I'd like to understand what makes a good and a bad superhero film. That is, if we have to have any at all. I also thought we could look in detail as to some of these notable failures and get opinions on what went wrong with them. Yes, Jeff. Before the MCU,
1: that must have been a really nice time for you. Most superhero movies of that period, with a few notable exceptions, flopped. Rightly so. They were all terrible. I'm a fan of the genre, and even I wouldn't go and see half of them.
0: Yeah, just, just thinking MCU, my comfort universe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a very interesting point for those who've only seen the success of Marvel. And if you think about it, you know, there are people out there that don't really know the failures. So how did superhero movies go from flops to blockbuster domination? If I look at the top ten highest grossing films of all time, four of them are superhero movies. This is a massive change of fortune in the last 10 years. What happened?
1: Well, a lot of things happened, and we need to look at the origins of the movie-based superheroes. This is their origin story. Uh, Today's superhero movies are a culmination of almost 80 years of development, refinement, and mutation. The superheroes we watch today all came from the comics, as did the story ideas. This rich cultural heritage is what makes these movies, when done correctly, engrossing and believable. These stories and the heroes have been part of popular cultural for a very long time. It's all connected and it all leads us to the point we are at today with superhero movies pulling in
0: billions of dollars at the box office. After this podcast, I'm going to discuss with you the words rich cultural heritage. (laughs) Um, Okay, (laughs) take me back to the beginning and walk me through this, please. It's all perspective, Jeff. It's all perspective.
1: In comics, uh, right, there are four major ages and these ages map onto the development of the superhero movie. It all started with the Golden Age, the 1930s to 1950s. That was the beginning of superhero comics, really. That was followed by the Silver Age in the late 50s up to the 70s. Um, Basically, the Space Age, from Sputnik to the moon landings. And then next, we got the Bronze Age, which was the 1970s and right up to 85. Now, this is um, an era where we... Comics changed and we got more socially aware comics uh, tracking topics like racism, drug use and environmental pollution. And then finally, we arrive at where we are now in the modern age and the modern age started in 1985. Uh, The modern age, sometimes called the dark age of comics, comics became darker, their stories addressing nuclear war, pandemics, ethnic cleansing of mutants, and everyone's favourite, killer robots. Also, this was the period where the Comic Code Authority relaxed its 1950s era rules on horror comics, something I know you'll be interested in. The words horror and terror could now be used again in comics.
0: Well, horror leading the charge as usual. So have you read any horror comics, or is it just another Graham no-go area? Neil, I assume, would just burn them as evil.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've read a lot of them, actually. Uh, Because, I mean, the horror comics are written by some of the best authors around. Alan Moore, who did Watchmen, and household names like uh, Neil Gaiman and Stephen King. But I'm going to swerve around your horror comic diversion and get back on track, back to the golden age. So a brief overview in the 1930s and 40s uh, and the early 50s the pre-TV era really there were lots of superheroes I mean lots of superheroes people would be absolutely stunned at the number of superheroes and they were mainly on radio now most of these characters were on US radio and will not be familiar to our UK based listeners but there were characters like Mandrake the Magician the Shadow the Phantom the Phantom and the Blue Beetle. What on earth ever happened to the Blue Beetle?
0: Never heard of any of them. <laughs> well, tell a live you The Shadow. The yeah. Shadow, yeah.
1: These were just as popular as Superman and Batman, uh, who is were, and both of those were about in the 1930s and 40s. Those were the, the sort of the Premier League superheroes of the time, but there were dozens of others who have largely been forgotten, like Captain Midnight, and I'll be coming back to him later. Terry and the Pirates was another very, very popular uh, superhero uh, show on the radio, and Speed Gibson. And now all of those... Gibson? like that one. (laughs) All... (laughs) I had to get a Mel Gibson reference in there. (laughs) Right, uh, those three, um, uh, Captain Midnight, uh, Terry and the Pirates, and Speed Gibson, all revolved around aircraft-based adventures because aircraft were pretty cool back in the... uh, 30s and 40s, uh, all of these characters were flying aces. Speed Gibson was not only a crack pilot, but he was a member of ISP. No, not Internet Service Provider, but the International Secret Police. The Secret Police were the good guys back in the 1930s. I think the uh, East German Stasi might have ruined their their reputation a bit. Well,
0: I don't think the West Germans in the early 1940s <laughs> did a lot for them either.
1: <laughs> Maybe not. So. Um, these shows were incredibly popular aimed at juveniles but loved by a wider older and predominantly male audience estimates put the weekly listeners at 20 million people in the united states the thing about radio is the unlimited budget for scenery obviously props and action set pieces special effects powered by the imagination have never really
0: been surpassed i agree with that and I continue to be fascinated by how the media of the 30s shaped us today. Okay, so that covers the 30s and 40s, but move into the 50s and we go into the first golden age of TV in the US. Mm-hmm. How did that affect superheroes? Well, we get to the 50s and we see these radio characters
1: migrating to the TV. I- you know, as you said, TV was the big rising phenomena of the time. However, on TV, uh, the production value suffered a lot. This meant that stories had to improve to make up for the shaky scenery and the obvious model aeroplanes. At this point, the foundations of what we know of as Marvel and DC's rivalry was starting So a lot of the new superheroes on TV were already huge in the comics. We, or or rather the US, got Superman and Batman. But they also got heroes like good old Captain Midnight again, who had his own comic series in the 30s, became a radio star in the 40s, and made it to TV in the 50s. Whilst researching this short, I watched some Captain Midnight on YouTube. A few good stories, but terrible effects. And modern viewers will probably find most of them very, very corny. I'll put some links up in the show notes at our at the flicks.co.uk website. So if you want to watch some very corny 1950s superhero stuff, our website is the place to go. And that was the end of the Golden Age. I
0: assume after the Golden Age comes the Silver Age. Oh, you have been paying attention. Right, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yes, the swinging 60s and everything goes to hell. Well, hell on TV and in the movies. The comics are really booming. Marvel and DC are getting into their stride. That rivalry I spoke of in the Golden Age explodes in the 60s, driving both companies to produce better products. The Avengers assembled, Spider-Man got bitten, Doctor Strange appeared, The Flash got married, Aquaman started talking to fish, and Wonder Woman got a family. It's a real turning point, the 60s, in print, but on TV and in the movies, nothing TV's Batman became a silly camp comedy, in stark contrast with his comic book persona of Super Detective. I mean, that's what DC stands for, Detective Comics. TV's Flash and Spider-Man were children's cartoons. This period is known as the Golden Age of TV, but it is a golden age without any superheroes.
0: Oh, it sounds wonderful, Graham. I dream of that time coming back again. like some Arthurian dream.
1: (laughs) Well, I think the main issue with this period of TV is that there was just so many great new TV show ideas. Superheroes were seen as looking back to radio era. There was a space race on. People were looking forward and sci-fi boomed. Shows like Lost in Space, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Time Tunnel, and of course, Star Trek Oh, in the UK of course we had Thunderbirds and Doctor Who
0: that was my time and it was certainly fantastic and yeah we had things like the Champions as well which touched upon this yeah okay I'm very interested now what happened next the Bronze Age
1: nothing changed for superheroes on TV or in the movies in print things went from good to great but on TV and in particular the cinema still nothing in this period as most people listening to this short will know Jaws ...and Star Wars arrived and cinema changed with the arrival of the summer blockbuster. Superheroes were nowhere to be seen until 1978 when Richard Donner's Superman flew in. But it went off the boil so fast you might have missed it. Superman 2 was okay and 3 was an appalling mess. The following year Supergirl was so terrible that it was another five years before we got a major superhero movie in Tim Burton's Batman. More on that in a minute. During the five years of Supergirl-induced drought, comics powered on and entered the modern age. The modern age started in 1985, a darker, more gritty time for comics. Comic book stories became complex, interweaving, and targeted at much older audiences. Dozens of new small independent publishers started with no... Censors or restrictions, adults, themes and deep emotional stories were the order of the day. In 1989, 50 years after Batman first appeared, we finally get Tim Burton's Batman starring Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson and Kim Basinger. At last I thought, here we go. Proper serious Batman stories. Then history repeated itself with the same death spiral as Superman. After the excellent first Batman, Batman Returns was poor and the third Batman and Robin was
0: terrible. Don't you think, though, that the first Batman owed a lot to the TV series? (laughs) Do you think? There's (laughs) a lot of tone. I think there's a lot of tone in that Batman film that is from the TV series.
1: (laughs) No, the TV series was dreadful.
0: It was funny. But not... I think that some of the humour and particularly what Jack Nicholson was doing was very much out of the campiness of the Batman TV series. I, no, do, I do think you're
1: taking. I'm the not best. taking the piss. No, I don't think I, it's anything. I mean,
0: I went through them all again last year, and yeah, um, yeah no, I, I, I think I think Batman Returns is the best of the four. Um, I think Batman. The plotting on there in in Batman is all over the shop. And and I do think that the humour he brought in at times is very reminiscent of the TV series. Batman forever. I just wanted to kill Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, And Batman and Robin. I'd have helped you. Yeah. And and Batman and Robin is nowhere near as bad as people say it is. It was. It was at the
1: time. I, I mean, I must remember going to see it and just coming out feeling really disappointed. Batman pretty much set the tone for the next 20 years. Some excellent single movies, but nothing that endured. A solidly good movie, followed by a string of terrible ones. This was really a period of disappointment. X-Men was great, and X-Men 2 was just as good. And then they blew it with X-Men 3, The Last Stand.
0: So there's definitely a lot of frustration around that time in the world of the superhero. Where do you think the movies of that early part of the modern era went wrong?
1: I think uh, films of the late 80s, 90s and and moving into the 2000s made a number of fundamental flaws that today's filmmakers have learned through bitter experience to avoid. So let's take a look at some of those flops. Mind you, there are so many to choose
0: from. Well, let's help. Oh, no. (laughs) I could start by picking all sorts of ones, couldn't I? So let's take a couple of real stinkers, generally accepted as bad. Uh, Believe me, there was plenty more to choose from. So, firstly, I'll start with Tank Girl. We've spoken of this movie often. I know you've got some views on it. I just love the word—the fact it has got the word "tank" in it, which sums it up. <laughs> and after that, we can go on to the um, mess that was Catwoman. Oh, wow, Jeff!
1: <laughs> Where do I start with those two piles of poo? Okay, I agree. Let's take Tank Girl first, as I need to psychologically build up to Catwoman. With Tank Girl, there was a total mismatch between the comic book and the movie. The director and cinematographer somehow missed the fact that a movie is not a comic. A comic book story can be made into a screenplay, but the visual components of a comic cannot and should not be made into a movie. When you look at a comic, you're seeing a series of moments frozen in time, segments of action. Every element is drawn to maximise the impact of that particular moment. This is very different medium from cinema. Cinema flows, comics are static. In Tank Girl, they try to make a moving comic. So the action scenes are choppy and poorly framed and the movie is a series of poorly merged static shots. The camera seems glued to the floor. It rapidly becomes visually annoying. If there's one thing modern filmmakers have learned, it's to be true to the source material. But don't be bound to it. Make a movie, not a comic. If something doesn't work cinematically, don't do it.
0: And one of the other interesting things on Tank Girls, it was directed by a woman. And uh, that set the whole basis of women directing comic book movies back to, oh, Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know what she was doing. I really don't. Um, what the MCU have learned to do is to take comic book stories and comic book characters and build a story around them and to make a movie out of that story and characters. They don't try to film a comic. If the result doesn't work, they fix the movie using movie solutions. They fix the dialogue, the pacing, the direction, the sound, the lighting to make it a better movie, not to make it more comic. Most of all, they don't mess with the director's vision. Marvel are famous for rewriting entire scenes to make the movie more cinematic. The story and the screenplay are the absolute core of every movie. Movies are about people and the audience has to emotionally engage with the characters if they are good. If the character is evil, then the audience needs to understand their motivations, even if they are crazy. Good actors can then take that dialogue and fill it with emotion, humanity and belief. Tank Girl did none of this. Tank Girl the comic is brilliant, funny, violent and sexy, mixed with a very large dose of crazy. Tank Girl is smart and sassy. The Tank Girl comics come out of the UK's punk rock movement. At her core, Tank Girl is an anti-establishment punk. None of this came across in the movie. She comes over as petulant, annoying and silly. The actress who played Tank Girl, Laurie Petty, is a good actress. But she was doomed before she started. You can't polish a turd. I mean, the best you can do is roll it in glitter. Winona Ryder, another fine actress, played Jet Girl. She just looked confused the whole time. Not as confused as the audience. And Malcolm McDowell delivers one of the worst performances of his career.
0: Be careful narrowing that down.
1: <laughs> okay. Summing up this movie, poor script. Good actors with nothing to work with. The effects were terrible, even by 1990s standards. The support cast were wooden. What was the director doing? They went for silly, and that's not Tank Girl. The only redeeming feature was Courtney Love's grunge soundtrack. Tank Girl were a modern superhero movie. She would be a punk on a mission with clear goals and motivations. She would have had much better one-liners that landed. Tank Girl should have been the Deadpool of its generation. Let me just end with an observation. Tank Girl is a British female punk superhero who lives in a tank in Australia and is a lesbian icon. They had so much to work with. How could they have messed it up? I'm going to have to stop here, Jeff, because I might start swearing.
0: Self-censoring. I like it. Although you, where you censor me sometimes. <laughs> um, OK, well, if you want to calm down, I don't think moving on to Catwoman is a good choice, really, is it?
1: No, Catwoman is not bad. It's disgusting. It's director Pitoff's fevered, perverted, wet dream and an exercise in getting Halle Berry into progressively skimpier and more revealing costumes. There's no menace, no peril, and the backstory was uninspiring. Origin stories are supposed to set the starting point for a journey to redemption for a hero or to tragedy for a villain. In this movie, her origin story was being licked by cats. The action sequences were ridiculous. I feel so bad for Halle Berry being put through this voyeuristic leather fetish soft porn nonsense. Catwoman is not a superhero movie. It is the contents of a cat's litter tray.
0: Still better than Isle of Dogs. (laughs) Um, Okay, then you don't want to borrow my DVD of Catwoman. Uh, No, thank you. Okay. All right. Let's cheer you up then. All right. You like games. Let's do this one, Belter or Bargepole. I'll give you the name (laughs) of a superhero movie and you tell me if. I shouldn't touch it with a barge pole or whether it's a misunderstood belter of a movie. I have a list of 25 and let's see how many we can get through before either you explode or I lose the will to live in this superhero (laughs) hell. Okay, let's start with God. Jonah Hex. Oh, definite barge pole.
1: 81 minutes including the credits.
0: So thankfully
1: it's short. Great cast. Josh Brolin, John Malkovich, Michael Fassbender and Malcolm McDowell. Oh, and Megan Fox as Hex's love interest in the comics. She is a one-eyed, gun-wielding prostitute who is covered in scars. Strangely, Megan went for the -the just-walked-out-of-the-beauty-parlour look for her portrayal. The music is by a heavy metal band, um, Mastodon. I saw them in 2009 at the Sonosphere Festival. If I was to describe their performance in a word, loud. And we'll put some of that um, soundtrack by uh mastodon uh, in the show notes
0: fantastic okay moving on to number two oh. electra oh
1: another barge pole despite having the gorgeous jennifer garner in the lead role it's muddled directionless and the supporting cast are weak the electra in netflix's daredevil is brilliant crazy psychopath but believable and driven now she's a proper assassin Oh, it doesn't get much better for me. The mystery men. <laughs> oh, I loved this. Oh. I thought this was a belter. It yeah. got panned by the critics and obviously but you didn't enjoy it, Jeff. No. But never. it really tickled me. A subtle, funny take on superheroes.
0: Subtle and funny weren't two words that I just <laughs> said when I walked out of a screening. <laughs> ah, this is better. Dark man. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's Belter-ish. Uh, what?
1: It's not bad, and, and for the early 90s, it's better than a lot of the superhero movies at the time. Sam Raimi directs uh, Liam Neeson's stars, good story, good acting, pacing's a little slow. That's the, mind you, that's the only problem I had. For a modern audience, it's, a,
0: it's, it's certainly a fun watch, but it's a wee bit slow. Nah, modern audience is wrong, I'm right, that's great. <laughs> also, Frances McDormand's in it. Uh, yes,
1: and, and looking very glammy. She was, yeah.
0: Oh, no, now we're back to it. Ultraviolet. Oh, yeah, you are definitely
1: back to it with this one. This is an unbelievable barge pole. Again, it's mercifully short at 85 minutes, uh, unless you watch the unrated version, which is an extra six minutes of nonsense. Oh, and spoiler alert there is no ultraviolet comic. Uh, they show a comic in the opening credits, but there is no comic. So technically, it's not a comic book movie.
0: Okay, that's enough, Grain. I'm starting <laughs> to self-harm with this blunt pencil. Uh, I think it's about as much superhero nonsense as I can handle in any one day. Shall we watch a horror movie now, or do you just want to stop there?
1: Um, I'm surprised you lasted this long, Jeff
0: oh that's because i've lined up a little treat for myself i've checked myself into a remedial center for the rest of the week where the therapy is continuous horror movies that would scare neil witless beamed directly into your eyeballs 24 hours a day i wonder if i can do that to him good grief that sounds like hell no 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 it's it's good okay then i think then graham uh, as we've come to the end of this it's Time for you to open that case, get that costume back out. and um, Put my cape on. Put the cape on, yeah. Make sure you don't get it trapped in any doors. I've seen those films as well. Um, No
1: capes, says... um, What's her name? Edna. Edna, yeah. Edna says, no capes, says Edna.
0: Yeah. And when Neil no longer requires that 24 hours case, we can come back and have another one of these. Thanks very much, Jeff. Cheers.